Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. It is official. Simona Di Silvestro will return to the supercars grid later this year in a Dick Johnson Racing Mustang. As expected, she'll team up with Kai Allen in a third shell-backed car for the Bathurst 1000. Shane Van Gisbergen has locked in a second NASCAR Cup Series start. The Kiwi set to return to Trackhouse Racing for the Indianapolis Road Course Race next month. That means he'll be on the same grid as Brody Kostecki. Another parity adjustment has been made ahead of the Sydney Super Night, with the Ford Mustangs all moving from an 87mm throttle body to an 80mm throttle body, the same as the Camaros. Premier Racing has sprung an enduro surprise by signing John O'Webb to partner Tim Slade for the long-distance races. Joey Mawson had long been expected to get that seat, however the team had been waiting on clarity over his super licence and decided it could wait no more. Mawson, meanwhile, is now facing even bigger licence issues after being suspended by Motorsport Australia while an investigation into supplement use takes place. That means the S5000 points leader will miss this weekend's fourth round of the season in Sydney, with Aaron Love to take over the 88 racing seat. Rising star Ryan Wood has cut his first Gen 3 supercars laps. The Kiwi took part in an evaluation in Nick Perkett's WAU Mustang at Winton last week. And the TCR World Tour round at Sydney Motorsport Park will feature two of the three races under lights in what will be a Friday and Saturday affair. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that I always let have pit priority, even when I'm ahead on the road, Stefan Bartholomeus. Stefan, how are you this week? Hello, Andrew. There's nothing like starting a podcast on a bit of a sore point. Man, mm. that was that was painful seeing Oscar come out behind uh, Lando after that first round of stops in the Hungarian Grand Prix. It was. We'll discuss that a bit later. But, uh, yeah, interesting about whether it was a little bit of give the lead driver a leg up or if the undercut was more powerful than they expected. But we'll get onto that a bit later. Let's kick things off with the confirmation that came earlier today, should you be listening to this on Tuesday, that DJR has, as I suggested last week, signed Simona Di Silvestro for its wildcard program. She will partner DJR Junior Kai Allen in a third DJR Mustang at the Bathurst 1000, and it will be a full third car by the sounds of things, as Shell V-Power appears to be the major backer, and a lot of the other partners are regular DJR partners for that car as well. So that's impressive how they've been able to commercialize that. Another thing to note, though, is that it is only for the Bathurst 1000. It's not a full enduro wildcard that includes Sandown, even though the entry did have approval for both long-distance races from the commission. Uh, anything from the announcement catch your eye, Stefan? Oh, well, I enjoyed how quickly this is supposedly 
come together since the news leaked in Townsville that their wildcard had been approved by the commission. Like the team was clearly doing some fancy footwork after that, saying they needed to go and find some sponsors and have a think about drivers. And uh, here we are two weeks later and uh, it's all out there. It's it's a magic trick. It is, it is a magic trick, just like Simona being in the paddock. And Darwin uh, was obviously only to do with the fact that she was just around the corner in Jakarta. So uh, I guess uh, these things <laughs> just miraculously come together very quickly sometime, uh, Stefan. Um, well, Simona faced the press earlier today, uh, and here's what she had to say. Simona, have you had any uh, insight into how these Gen 3 cars drive? Have you spoken to any other drivers, you know, when you're in Darwin about, you know, how different they are to the Gen 2 cars? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, I think uh, when I was in, in Darwin, I, I spent a lot of time with uh, a few drivers and uh, they did tell me that it's quite different uh, than uh, than what I'm used to. And uh, yeah, I think the, the test days, you know, will be really important just to understand. And, you know, maybe it's also a good thing that I haven't driven a supercar, as you know, in the last few years because, you know, we, we're going with a fresh mindset into it. And uh, uh, But yeah, from what I've heard, it is a, a, a little bit different. And um uh, I think it's, I just can't wait to, you know, get my hands on it and, and really feel for myself uh, how it, it, it feels to drive. The Nissans were always kind of on the back foot. You know, they were sort of a cot of car when they were Gen 2 cars and all that sort of stuff. Do you feel that this is your best opportunity to actually have the right hardware in this series? A hundred percent. You know, I think uh, if you look at uh, what the team has achieved, you know, they, uh, they you know, really amazing, uh, have achieved ma- amazing things. And, uh, you know, for me as well to get this opportunity, I think it's uh, it's quite special. You know, I think it's the, the perfect way to come back into supercars. You know, I think uh, we if we do our job right, you know, I think we can really have a shot at it. And, uh, and that's, uh, you know, I think for us drivers is the most important thing. And, you know, also, you know, with Will and Anton as well, I think they, we can really lean on them. You know, I know Will since a really long time and, uh, you know, he's already been tech, we've been texting each other kind of uh, going back and forth on things. So I think we, we already see there, you know, that, uh, this team is really working well together. And, and for me as well, you know, just to get gelled in, uh, really quickly and to have somebody like, like Will, you know, who, who's a friend, it's, uh, I think it's going to help a lot, you know, to, to come there and, uh, and be successful. A slightly less expected announcement, Stefan, was that Premier Racing has signed Jono Webb to partner Tim Slade for the Supercars Enduros. Now, that was less expected in a few ways because firstly, Joey Mawson was for so long the front runner for the job and there was finally some light at the end of the ridiculous super license tunnel for Joey as well. Now, we'll get on to Joey's now significantly enhanced license woes in a second, but long story short for now, the super license isn't coming and Premier went elsewhere and it went to one of Aussie Motor Racing's great enigmas, Jono Webb. Stefan, this is such a hard one to judge because Jono's commitment to motor racing has been very, very hard to properly read in recent years, or maybe not just in recent years, but at the heart of it, he's a very skilled racing car driver with quite a few runs on the board and quite a few very big wins, potentially to a point that he's never really got credit for in terms of his actual ability. What do you make of this signing? Yeah, you're right. Enigma is probably a pretty good good word for Jono and it's definitely a surprise to see him back because when he sold the team at the end of 2021, like that definitely looked like it had been his last Bathurst, but he has done a bit of racing since then. He's done some 286 guest drives. He's driven that ex-Bondi Group A Sierra that the webs have got and, and he was also doing the Bathurst 12-hour this year in and out. So 
he has done some driving and apparently he was quick on the test day that he did out at Queensland Raceway with Premier where they also tested Kurt Kostecki and, and Matt Charter and Webby was quicker than those guys and he brings a couple of sponsors to it as well. So, yeah, we'll see how he goes uh, in the big races. It will definitely be fascinating. Let's shift focus very slightly back to Joey Mawson. Now, he's gone from not having a super license to not having a valid Motorsport Australia license at all. Now, the issue for Joey is a routine substance test during the Phillip Island Speed Series round where it turns out there was a positive test to a questionable supplement. Now, that's all we really know about it at this stage. There was a statement sent out on behalf of 88 Racing that said uh, it was a general fitness supplement and Joey was taken by surprise with the outcome. Uh, The matter is now being investigated by Sports Integrity Australia and Motorsport Australia. The outcome of a B sample will, to some extent, shape how things progress from here. Although, given he's admitted to using the substance, it's unlikely the B sample will clear him, I suppose. Stefan, it would be foolish to delve into any further guesswork here about what exactly we're dealing with. But however, whatever, the timing is terrible for a guy who was really on the cusp of getting his shot in supercars. Yeah, it's an extraordinary development, as you say, and the timing of it means it's already a big blow to his career, regardless of where it actually goes from here. But I think, firstly, it's good that Joey and his camp have been on the front foot with it. Like They've come out and put their cards on the table in terms of an explanation, which is better than having it leaking out as speculation. Yeah, that was quite an interesting move because um, due to the Sports Integrity Australia rules, Motorsport Australia wasn't actually in a position to make anything public until the B sample had come back. So the the opportunity was actually there to sweep it under the carpet. I'm guessing you know they could always come up with an excuse as to why Joey wasn't on the grid for Sydney this weekend. Um, but apparently it was Joey's decision to come forward and not let the rumour mill take over, you know, when he didn't show up in Sydney. And um, I guess, you know, in a way that's admirable and supports his argument that this was an honest mistake or, or misunderstanding, but it certainly played out in quite an interesting way. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess parking the specifics of, of this case, but just looking in general, it, it just feels so silly for this to happen in motor racing when you think about the fact that, you know, motor racing's very unlike athletics and cycling and so on when it comes to this stuff. Like there's no fitness supplement in the world that's going to fix your understeer or give you a few extra Ks at the end of the straight. But the drivers are ultimately held to the same standard as other athletes by these testing bodies. And it doesn't happen often, but they can be tested and they can't have anything in their system that is on the banned list. So the onus is on the drivers to be really careful with any supplements or any medication that they take, and this is really a reminder to all drivers that uh, what the consequences can be. Oh, I think it's caught a few drivers' attention out there. You know, I don't think we see all that rigorous a test, all that rigorous a testing sort of regime in motor racing, but it can happen. And I think this is certainly grounds for teams to be going to drivers and supercars and saying, hey, this this can happen. Because as you say, the fitness thing is an interesting one. Obviously, there is a level of fitness required to drive a racing car at the top of your ability in a long, hot race like a Townsville 500 or something like that. But a lot of the fitness levels that you know the drivers have is beyond that because they have the time um, and it's almost like a – it almost becomes like a hobby 
you know, for them. Um, mm. And it is just, you know, if this were to happen to a driver already into his professional career with a contract in place, earning money on the supercars grid, I mean, yeah, like I think unnecessary is the perfect way to describe it. Let's look ahead to the Sydney Super Night this weekend, Stefan. It is a huge shame that the Ford Aero package has changed because it would have been great to get a definitive answer on whether the Ford drivers were sandbagging at the preseason test. After all, although I think we've got some answers to that, I guess more things have changed anyway because we now have this 80 mil throttle body on the Ford motors. This will be a big test for that Ford Aero for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's clearly a more aero-sensitive track than Townsville. Uh, secondly, the 14s have had a bit more time to ponder the updated package and some have also used up test days to try and get their head around it a little bit more. So I guess we have a few options of how this whole thing plays out. One is that we roll out with this new Aero and these new throttle bodies and we have perfect parity. Pretty unlikely based on many of the factors we've discussed a billion times before so far this year, but that is one scenario. Another is that we see the epic Erebus versus Triple Eight battle continue, perhaps with some Andre Heimgartner interjection or even a bit of Jack LeBrock work. Third is that the Fords are absolute jets and it's a blue moon that rises over those Eastern Creek lights. Stefan, any guesses at which way this one might go? Well, it'd be a, a brave man to uh, guess, but um, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Because as well as that parity variable, you've got this unknown of what Supercars has done with the format for the weekend yep. and trying to open up the strategy options. Like that 200 kilometer Saturday evening race only has one compulsory pit stop, but it's clearly a really high tire wear circuit. So we'll see if anyone goes aggressive and, and takes the two stop and. As always, safety cars are going to play a big role in, in what works out to be the best way. And, yeah, I think one way or another, all of that is going to really put the microscope on how well the Ford can hang on to its tyres and whether there's an imbalance there. Mm, a well-timed safety car at a race under lights. Will anyone pull the old Flavio trick? Could we see it, Stefan? Oh, no, I thought you were going to reference the uh, the first night race they had in Sydney in 2018 where it was a pretty slow burner kind of race and, and there was a late safety car and then Shane came and attacked Scotty. Uh, that was like one of the best supercars races or yeah. best battles that I think um, I certainly remember, yeah, watching it with you and it was just the, the night really added to the drama of it. Yep. So, um yeah, I hope we can see uh, see a good fight on Saturday. Was that where Todd Hazelwood's wing came flying off at one point when he was still in the Falcon? That was. That caused the, the safety car oh. that, uh, that changed it all up. There you go. Well, being a night race, obviously there is a bit of an opportunity to innovate when it comes to the TV stuff. We've actually seen some innovation in terms of how race day is rolling out on TV compared to in real life, uh, as recently as the Townsville 500, where eagle-eared TV viewers might have noticed that there was fairly loud music playing ahead of the race rather than the commentary being piped through to the at-track audience, or people at the track would have definitely noticed that. It was pretty hard to miss. Uh, I grabbed Supercast TV boss David Tunnicliffe for a chat about these little tweaks and what it could mean moving forward. Yeah, there was obviously a bit of a change to the pre-race at-track experience in Townsville with sort of uh, music and flames and that sort of stuff instead of piping the commentary through. What was the thinking behind sort of making that change? I think if you look at our event experience, we've got um, an incredible product and we've got access that so other few, you know, so few other sports 
can offer. So what we wanted to do was really try and maximize what we can do in that grid moment um, to create an atmosphere and build to that moment where the cars leave on the formation lap. Um, you know, music really supports atmosphere. You go to any party, any function, you know, a good song gets people amped up, you tap your feet, you know, you, you, you sing along. And that's really what we're trying to do is improve the event experience from all different angles. And, and we saw that as a really good opportunity to maximize something that's already pretty cool and make it even better. What was the reception like uh, in terms of, you know, anyone you've spoken to? It, was it fairly positive? Overall, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even to the point where, you know, one thing we did have to consider was, I guess, an increase of noise in what is effectively the team's workplace. Um, we never want to do anything that impacts on the sport, but uh, actually getting a text message midway through Sunday from a team saying how much they were enjoying it and how the team was actually responding and how on the grid the team actually felt a bit of a lift and it got the adrenaline pumping for those guys who were actually about to take part in the main event, you know, what people had, had, had turned up to actually watch. So is the idea basically to differentiate between that at-track experience and the broadcast experience for those sitting at home to try and, you know, create this interest for the people watching from home going, well, when this circus comes to my town, I want to make sure I'm there experiencing that. Well, absolutely. I think that's a byproduct of what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is make sure that those people who come to supercars have the absolute best time possible they can. Uh, and and for so many sports, not just supercars, you, you know, you watch it on TV and you do go, oh, that looks cool. I want to be a part of that. We're really lucky in that we go all over the country. So if somebody's watching from Darwin uh, and sees the race you know, in Townsville and goes, oh, that's cool. I, I, you know, I want a piece of that next time they come to Darwin. It, it, yeah, that is a byproduct. But those who are already there, our corporate guests, the teams, the, you know, everybody who is already there, we want them to come away going, that was a bloody good day out. So what's the plan from here? Will that continue at every round? Will that be a selective round thing? Is there, you know, what are the plans for the real marquee races like the Bathurst 1000 at this stage? Well, look, Townsville, uh, yes, Townsville was the the first event where we really, um, you know, gave it a good go and, and really tried some things to another level. Um, the Sydney night race obviously lends itself to doing this again. We've got a, a cool little amphitheatre at Sydney with the pit building and the big grandstand there um, and nighttime as well with, with lighting and pyro. So we'll see it in Sydney. Uh, I think if you look across the season, you can identify some races where it's just not really worth doing. You have different areas of the country that benefit from different um, environmental pros and cons. But if you go to Bathurst, that'd be a good one to have a look at. The Gold Coast has got a, a party atmosphere, Adelaide as well. Um, but you look at other tracks, you know, a Tasmania, for example, where the bulk of your crowd is not near pit lane. Is it worth doing that? Does it add to the event experience? You know, there's a question mark over that. But yeah. we'd look at every event as a, an individual um, event and, and see what's best for that event and how we, you know, just really enhance that event experience moving forward. Looking at Sydney this weekend, let's start with this uh, My Kitchen Rules crossover. What on earth is going on there? Well, look, we've got two really, really engaged and really great broadcast partners in Fox Sports and, and Channel 7. And, you know, we've been out shooting some content with the Fox NRL guys today. Um, and then, you know, 7 obviously have a completely different 
array of shows, My Kitchen Rules being one of them. And, and you'll have seen from being in and around the Supercars paddock, you've got some very keen chefs in amongst yep. the crews there. So Tim and Trudy Edwards, I, I don't know if you've seen the Tickford Mums social uh, pages, and, and you know they're the guys who cater for all of the Tickford crew. And then Barry and Loretta Ryan are also keen chefs who cook for the Erebus guys. So we got an opportunity to get Colin, one of the um, – the hosts and judges from My Kitchen Rules along to Sydney and I suggested we do a bit of a, you know, Ford versus Chevy head-to-head uh, cook-off. And, um, yeah, let me tell you, it's um, the tensions are high for this one and there's no more competitive people than Tim Edwards and Barry Ryan and they are, they are like eyes down, elbows out. They're taking no prisoners. This will be a battle royale. Was there any uh, any parody concerns? Maybe the jets on the barbecue not being quite right, or someone having a bit too much gas coming in, or something like that. That's for you to speculate on, mate. That's, that's <laughs> your area. Uh, are there any other big plans? You know, either at track or in broadcast to sort of make use of the the unique aspect of night racing or racing under lights this weekend. Look, I think again, if you go back to what we're very lucky to have, it's a sport that really sells itself in many aspects. Um, as you'll have seen at previous races, the teams are um, able to lie um, under the cars and in cars. That's uh, uh, to their discretion. But what we have with the glowing brakes, the flames from the exhaust, yeah, we've got something that happens very naturally and organically. We don't need to manufacture too much much once the, the racing gets going. We're, we're, we're really lucky. We've just got to broadcast that to the best of our ability. Um, pre-race, like I say, with the atmosphere, with some pyro, post-race with fireworks up on the hill as the podium is, yeah, presentations conclude. We are really adding the icing and the cherry on top of what's already a pretty decent cake, thanks to all our drivers and our teams. All right, let's take a look at what happened around the world over the weekend. Max Verstappen dominated the Hungarian Grand Prix to take Red Bull Racing's 12th consecutive win. Now, that is a new Formula One record. Lando Norris finished second in the much-improved McLaren, with Sergio Perez finishing third. Oscar Piastri ran second in the early stages of the race, but ended up finishing fifth, while Daniel Ricciardo recovered from lap one contact to finish 13th in his comeback race. In Formula 2, Dennis Hauger won the sprint race before Aussie Jack Doohan banked his first win of the season in dominant fashion in the feature, and Gabriel Mini won the Formula 3 sprint, while Zach O'Sullivan won the feature race. Joseph Newgarden won the Iowa IndyCar race, surviving a late race restart to hold off Team Penske teammate Will Power. Alex Blow was third, and the Kiwis, Scots, McLaughlin, Dixon, fifth and sixth. Kelly Rovenpera dominated Rally Estonia, his winning margin 52.7 seconds over Hyundai's Etieri Neuville, and Denny Hamlin walled Cole Larson to win the NASCAR Cup Series race at Pocono Raceway. Stefan, there are signs of Aussie life in Formula 1. Oscar was a little unlucky on the pit priority, and the undercut being a little more powerful than perhaps McLaren expected, or at least that's what they say, but what a start to the race he made. I mean, we say it a lot about Brock Feeney. You know, he just looks like he belongs in supercars. Oscar is just starting to look like he belongs in Formula One, right? Well, absolutely. He played that start beautifully, as you said, and he just looked super comfortable in that first stint running ahead of Lando. And it was a shame the way that not only did the strategy go against him, but the team said later on that he picked up some floor damage that really hurt his pace there in those second and third stints because... Yeah, he clearly did not have the pace for, for most of the race and it was good that there was some explanation for it because, um, yeah, the other blokes drove away from him pretty fast. I reckon Danny Rick did a pretty fine job on his return as well, really. I mean, Yuki Tsunoda 
really is the only yardstick we can work to, given the AlphaTauri seems a little difficult to say the least. But, you know, he outqualified Yuki, and even after being hit at Turn 1, he pushed the team into an early stop that worked, and he finished ahead of Yuki in the race as well. I thought that was uh, that was really impressive. He was battling some floor damage as well, I think it was. Yeah, it was impressive for sure. And I felt like the weekend for Dan was a success as soon as he got out of Q1. Yeah. Like, obviously, everyone has to be realistic on where AlphaTauri sits in the pecking order, but that set a good tone for, okay, there's a base to build on here. There's something to actually work with. He's not just going to be nailed to to uh, a Q1 exit. And the battle with Yuki is fascinating, no matter where they are in the field. It just really feels like it's make or break for both of them in the second half of this year. Quick word on the 12 wins in a row from Red Bull Racing. I mean, that eclipses the McLaren record set in 1988, their incredibly dominant season, obviously helped by there being so many races. I mean, Red Bull will probably almost double that record this year if they keep going as they're going. But here's a question for you, Stefan. There's always so much talk about these dominant cars, almost in a way that diminishes what the driver has achieved and even what the team has achieved weirdly. Like, okay, they've just got the best car. But, you know, this is a sport of human and mechanical performance. You don't just get the best car. Should we not be celebrating these sorts of achievements more and not just in hindsight and, you know, instead of trying to diminish dominance like this? Like, it's remarkable. It is remarkable. And I guess it's the nature of sport that some people will will celebrate the domination and some people will loathe it. But certainly for me, the true achievement is the fact that Red Bull has been able to build such a dominant car in an era where the rules are so restrictive. Like when you think of the way it was in 1988 with those McLarens compared to now and the freedoms they had then, like yeah. now the technical rules are super tight and, you know, there's no engine development allowed. There's there's the spending cap and, yeah, the whole field ends up being separated by under a second in qualifying and yet we end up with an unprecedented level of domination in terms of race wins. That's uh, that's the truly amazing part. Absolutely. Uh, something I enjoyed over the weekend was a bit of a misunderstanding while the IndyCar drivers were doing their pre-Iowa rounds. Uh, Will Power was asked about taking part in the open-wheel cavalcade at the Bathurst International, as if ARG is targeting bringing an active IndyCar team and driver out for the event. Um, Will jumped at the idea, of course, Um Knew nothing about it, but said it had to be him if this happens, as he's the only Aussie in the field. Uh, as cool as it would be, that's not really what the cavalcade will be, I think. And I don't think organisers are actually trying to get Team Penske to bring a car down under. We might see Matthew Radisich in his 2011 spec Indy car take part in that thing, but that's about it. But it's nice to know Will's keen to have a run if it ever happens, right? Well, the bit I liked here is that you've, you've seen these quotes come out of that press conference and you've yep. written the story that Power is keen to do laps at Bathurst in his IndyCar. Of course I did. And then yeah. halfway through the story, you've added in that the whole premise appeared to be a misunderstanding. So so you've gone with like this journalistic credibility disclaimer where you've, you've thought, oh, this story is too clickable not to write, but don't worry, I get that it's not going to happen. I, I thought that was beautifully done. It was uh, modern journalism 101. Sometimes the lowest hanging fruit is the most delicious, Stefan. Okay, Castro mailbag time. Daniel Jones asks, are supercars worried that all of its star drivers are looking elsewhere to drive? That is an interesting question, Daniel. What do you think, Stefan? Well, I can't really speak for supercars in this, but you look at the way their digital channels promoted 
Shane's drive in Chicago, like the amount of coverage they gave that and and now Brody ahead of this Indy road course race, it certainly doesn't look like they're too concerned about it all. And in fact, I've heard some of their digital metrics, including that Superview International uh, subscription service really uh, spiked off the back of uh, Shane in Chicago. So there's actually some tangible benefit for them there. But obviously having drivers leave the series completely is going to be a bit different to, to this one-off stuff. But yeah, I don't think I don't think supercars is suddenly going to lose five full-time drivers. Like of all the issues they've got, I don't reckon this is this is too high on the list. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I totally agree with that. I, I actually think um, it's not a bad thing at all, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, like I'm already really excited about a SVG-less championship next year because particularly with Cam, you know, it looks like looking like he's going to stay put at Tickford. If the parity thing is kind of on top of, and you would really hope it would be by then, then that's a pretty tasty championship next year, including, you know, whoever actually ends up at Triple Eight, which is a really fascinating thing as well. So I think if you just isolate him leaving, as we expect him to do, that's absolutely fascinating. Secondly, I think it's kind of what we're seeing is that supercars can actually be a pathway. It used to be, you know, young drivers made a decision, right, I'm going to stay in Australia and be a supercars driver, but that's going to be it. Like I'm going to be locked into that for life or I'm going to go overseas and I'm going to give that a go and I can come back if I don't make it or whatever and it all gets a bit sort of messy. Whereas now we're kind of seeing that this proof that if you're a top supercars driver, you can pretty much cut it given the right opportunity anywhere in the world. And this is not just about Shane. This is about, you know, Scott McLaughlin's an even better example because he used supercars as a springboard to IndyCar, completely different car. He had no open wheel experience, basically, apart from a couple of Formula Ford starts. But what it showed was that, you know, it wasn't about driving big, heavy stock cars. Oh, he's used to doing that. It just showed that the guy's a really good race car driver and he could cut it somewhere else. So I think what we're seeing now is that young drivers can go, hey, I can go to supercars. And if it works for me there and I like it, I can stay there. But if I you know, feel like I still have overseas ambitions, I'm not locked in there forever because this is a great way for me to prove to the world that I'm a top-level professional race car driver that can do the job pretty much anywhere. So I really don't see it as a massive negative. Like you say, it's not an exodus. Even if we lost Brody next year and Cam in two years, it's not an exodus. You know, It's just proof that... This series can develop really, really good race car drivers. Great race car drivers, actually. Yeah, and uh, things like the Scotty example, like it's it's fairly unique that he was with Penske here and and he was able to transition within one of the best race teams in the world. So as you say, it's it's not an exodus, and I think in the meantime, this um, these one offs can really benefit everyone in terms of exposing the series to, to new audiences as well as as the drivers being able to go and, and make some dollars and get some experience elsewhere. Alrighty, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week. Stefan, you know I'm a fan of some road rage. I know I shouldn't be, I know I shouldn't encourage violence or aggression, but I really just can't help myself. So the second Austin Dillon launched his helmet across the Pocono track to Tyler Reddick's car, in response to being shunted in the NASCAR race over the weekend, he became a shoo-in for my Castrol star. That was an epic dummy spit, Austin, and I am absolutely here for it. Stefan, your Castrol star recipient. Well, before we move on, did he even actually hit the car or did he just uh, 
just wad up his uh, expensive helmet for nothing. It, it looked like at least a double bouncer on its way across the track, so I'm not sure what it actually got. <laughs> and I, uh, I don't know that he's going to get that helmet through scrutineering next when he rocks up at wherever they're going next week. Uh, but that just adds to it to me. Like it was just, it was amazing. It was, I, I loved every, I loved everything about it. I've only ever been to one NASCAR cup race and it was a Bristol night race where Tony Stewart performed one of the great helmet throws of all time. He, he actually flushed it right into the into the grill area of uh, Matt Kenseth's um, car from like two wow. metres away. So the helmet Excellent. like flew into the air and, uh, yeah, the roar from the crowd was just unbelievable in that uh, sort of coliseum type environment and how cool yeah i'm sure you're hoping to see something similar in sydney this weekend definitely absolutely let's let's make that happen someone get that helmet flying i feel like you're more likely to see a team boss hurl a throttle body at the supercars off truck than (laughs) any of the drivers actually throwing helmets but we'll see how it unfolds my uh, my star of the week is going to a bloke named attila simon who is the boss of the company that made the trophies for the Hungarian Grand Prix. And I'm sure most people would have seen the vision of Lando Norris clumsily smashing Max Verstappen's victory trophy on the podium. And Lando sort of treated it all as a big joke. But uh, poor old Mr. Simon revealed later that uh, those trophies are worth about 40,000 euros each and uh, his his quote and, and I realize it's translated but he was quoted as saying we will take on the joyful and heavy burden of making it again <laughs> and I just felt that was uh, that was great wording so uh, he gets my star of the week it's a um are you sure he's not when you say poor Mr Simon he's not he's probably going to send an invoice for this uh reproduction of the trophy to someone right but it's, the, it's the heavy burden of making it, it again it's, I reckon. Uh, I reckon having the first name Attila would be quite a heavy burden for him to have uh, carried throughout his life as well. But anyway, that's uh, that's neither here nor there, and that's probably a good point to say. That's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castro Motorsport news. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.